Okay, um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn them to Nehemiah. It's been great over the last couple of weeks. Ali did a fantastic job sort of catching us up to where we are today. Um, and then we had a few people read the scripture last week, the whole of Nehemiah. And it's such a, such a privilege to be able to do that. We, just wanted, we wanted to do that because as a church, we value scripture. And we, just, we, we believe that scripture speaks for itself. Um, and it's just brilliant, just listening to the whole book of Nehemiah. So as a church, most of us have now read Ezra and Nehemiah, which is absolutely fantastic. So hopefully that's really served you for, as we now go back to the beginning of Nehemiah, for um, everything we're going to explore, everything we're going to look into. So uh, Bible's open to Nehemiah chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles. The text will come behind us as well. I wonder if you look back on your life, you can think about what have been your life-changing moments. Every one of us in this room has had moments in our lives where something has happened, a moment, a decision, and then your life is changed. It might have been getting a job to move to Sweden. It might have been saying, I do, to your spouse. It might have been the day, the first moment that you saw your baby. We all have moments that literally change our lives. I remember one of my stand-up moments, I've got a few, but one of my stand-up moments was when I was about 18 and my mum and dad sat me down and I wasn't in a very good place. I wasn't part of church, I was very much away from God and mum and dad sat me down and said, we lived in the south of England by London, and mum and dad sat me down and said, son, Josh, Joshy, don't know what they call me, <laughs> boy, <laughs> sometimes. We're going to be moving to the north of England, and you have a choice. You can either move out, find your own accommodation, or you can come with us, but we're, we're going to be leaving. And that moment set off a chain of events that basically ended up in me getting in a car about six months later and driving up the motorway to the north of England. That moment changed my life, because I was in a place where I was with the wrong people, I was making the wrong decisions, I was doing the wrong things. My life was on a directory going this way, a trajectory going this way. And when I drove up north, all of a sudden, I met people in the church. Eventually, I met Nina. But most importantly, I fell in love with Jesus. And my life, in that moment, my life completely transformed, completely changed. I wonder what moments for you have completely transformed your life? What moments have changed the direction you were going this way, and then suddenly something happens, and you, no, I've got to go this way. I wonder what moments in the future are going to happen that will change your trajectory, will change where you're going. The privilege of Scripture is that we see stories of people, and there's many life-changing moments in Scripture. I think one of the biggest ones happens right at the beginning of the book, when Adam and Eve meet this serpent who said, did God really say? And they say, mm, maybe, maybe not. And they take what they weren't allowed. The one thing God said, don't take that, they take it. And suddenly, in this one moment, whole of history, not just their history, the whole of history is changed. Separation from God. They were walking with God, suddenly separated from God. And then fast forward to Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Another moment that changes history. Another moment that changes our history. A moment that means that we can worship God this morning as sons, as daughters, as loved. Because of that moment, it is finished. In Jesus' death and resurrection, moments change history. 
But they're like big moments. There's also individual moments in Scripture. 1 Samuel 16, we meet this shepherd called David who's out with his flock and Samuel comes looking to anoint someone and he goes through all these all these brothers but he doesn't find and then he meets David this is the one he anoints David his life is changed no longer will he just be shepherding sheep he'll be shepherding a nation Esther as she stands before the king will he accept me or will he put me to death he welcomes her, a moment that changes her life Saul who becomes Paul on the Damascus road Another moment. This is a guy who's breathing threats about the church. He wants, if he sees someone who's Christian, if he sees a church, he wants it, he wants it gone. He wants them gone. Suddenly, on the Damascus Road, he meets Jesus, and his life is transformed. Arguably the most prolific church planter wrote so much of the New Testament in just one moment, one life-changing moment when he met Jesus. Peter who denied Jesus three times, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, reinstated by Jesus over a barbecue. Got to love a barbecue. Suddenly his life has changed. You know there's life-changing moments when you eat picanha. It's good. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Barbecues are good. There's these moments that change lives. And as we open up the book of Nehemiah, right at the beginning, we see a moment that I would argue kind of means that the rest of the, ne the book of Nehemiah is written. We kind of, we go in at the deep end here. We see a moment that suddenly changes one person's direction. They were here, and suddenly they go here. And so we're going to look at that today. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, and I do have it here. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Okay, so here we meet Nehemiah. Just a bit of a side note, which we'll come back to later. Nehemiah's name in the Hebrew translates as Yahweh is comfort. Okay, God is comfort. Remember that for a bit later. But Nehemiah is a guy who's been, he's born in Babylon. He's a Jew. He's a passionate Jew. As we see, he's interested in kind of what's going on with the Jews. We understand he's devoted, he's passionate about his brothers in the faith. He's working for a king as a cupbearer. Okay, so he's got, he's got a pretty decent job. He's regularly seeing the king. He's in a high position in, in what he does. And as a Jew, he's, he's naturally interested in what's going on in Jerusalem. doesn't live in Jerusalem, he lives in Babylon, but he's interested. And so when his brother and some other Jews come in and see him, he, like we probably would, us from a different nations, asks, how's it going over there? When Rob and Joe, who look after this church, part of the apostolic team that help us, when they come, I always ask, how's it going in Kendall, the place where they live? How's it going in Lancaster? I want to know. I'm interested. Why? Because I love them. Because I'm devoted to them. 
And so Nehemiah takes his opportunity to speak to his brother and friends. Hey, how's it going in Jerusalem? And the answer is not good. The Jews are struggling. The people of God are struggling. They're kind of like a little bit despised. They're being laughed at. They're being mocked. It's not, they're not in a good place. They're not the people that God promised that they would be. And that's just the people. The actual city, yeah, the temple has been rebuilt, but the walls, they're burnt down, they're broken, they're not looking good. Jerusalem is not looking good. The Jews in Jerusalem are not looking good. This is not the city that God had promised. This is not the people that God had promised. It's not quite right. There's something that is not right And it's this bad news, it's this report that I want to look at over the next couple of weeks. How does Nehemiah respond to the news that the Jews are in a bad place? How does Nehemiah, Nehemiah? Nehemiah respond to the news, some tongue twisters here, that the walls are not how they should be? We're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. It's like a mini-series as part of our bigger series. But the reality is that the whole of this book and the book before, it's a response to this news. Jerusalem is not where it should be. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This news hits Nehemiah hard. When you receive bad news, like, if, like really bad news, it's, there can be like a physical response to kind of like your body goes from you. It's why you often hear, hey, I've got some bad news, why don't you take a seat? Here we, here we see Nehemiah respond to the news. And as soon as, notice the way the ESV translates that. In the, uh, in the NIV, it's when I heard. In the ESV, I think, it's, it's as soon as. As soon as he hears the news, he sits down. It's like his body goes from him. He is affected by this news. Here we have a life-changing moment. Here we have a life-changing moment. He's massively affected. It hits him hard. It breaks him. Then I sat down as soon as I heard it. So why? It's a good question to ask. Why? Because there would have been many other Jews who were living in Babylon who probably knew what, were going, what was going on in Jerusalem. So why did it affect Nehemiah? Why are we reading a book called Ezra and Nehemiah, called Nehemiah? Why are we reading about this man? I believe it's because of his response to the news. It broke him. The report from Jerusalem broke Nehemiah. He was a man who became overwhelmed. He was a man who heard some news and it absolutely shook him to the core. It overwhelmed him. He had a burden for these people, he had a burden for this city, he had a heart for the city of Jerusalem, he had a heart for the people, for the Jews in Jerusalem. And when he heard that it's not looking good, when he heard that the people are not good, the walls are not good, what happened? It broke him. As soon as I heard this, I sat down and wept. This is not how it should be. And then if we fast forward, 500 years, 
we see another man broken. We see another man weeping. In John 11:35, we read the shortest chapter in the Bible, but arguably the most powerful. Jesus wept. Jesus was broken. Why did he cry? Well, his good friend Lazarus was dead. His good friend's brother was dead. And Jesus wept. He wept. But he didn't just weep because a good friend was dead. He wept at the very fact of death. This is not how it should be. This was not how I planned it right at the beginning. When I created, when I spoke. This was not what we planned. There is something not right with death. It's evil. And you see Jesus' response to that. And he weeps. This is not right. Friends, Jesus was human. We see his humanity here. He wasn't just nonchalant, like, oh, someone's died. No, it affected him. God took on flesh. Here we see his humanity. He weeps. We also see in Matthew 23, 37, this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you, your children, together as a hen gathers her brood. How often would I have comforted you? How often did I want to bring you in and just look after you like a hen looks after her little ones? But you were not willing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Again, here we see Jesus' passion for the city. He wanted to come for, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've wanted to. And notice here, yes, Jesus is human. Jesus is also God because he's talking about past tense. I've wanted to comfort you, speaking himself. This is this Trinitarian passage here. I wanted to comfort you. And what did we say Nehemiah's name was? What did that mean? Yahweh is comfort. God is comfort. Who did God send to Jerusalem? Nehemiah. God is comfort. He sends comfort to Jerusalem. But as we go through the story, we realise actually Jerusalem doesn't want it. All the time, God has been wanting to comfort this city. But they don't want it. They stone the prophets, those that are sent to it. This powerful moment as Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps and it affects him. We see the reality of who Jesus was. You know, Jesus wasn't someone who is unable to sympathize with us, he's gone through everything we go through. And here we see a man who weeps over a city that didn't want to go and follow God, a people who chose so often their own over God's best. Oh, Jerusalem, how I want to comfort you. Sends Nehemiah. Terry, in his book, Super Good, Terry Virgo is um, a leader of New Frontiers, or was a leader of New Frontiers. Um, in his really good book, The Tide is Turning, says this, we need to become overwhelmed before we can become useful to God. 
Nehemiah was a man who became overwhelmed. We see that in the first few verses of chapter 1, right at the beginning. He was a man who became overwhelmed. Jesus was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed at death. He was overwhelmed at Jerusalem. We need to become overwhelmed before we can become useful to God. There was a lady called Jackie Pullinger. I assume some of you have probably heard of her. She is an absolutely amazing lady. Um, in 1966, she left the UK as a young, single lady on a ship, not knowing where she would go. All she knew was that God had told her to go somewhere. Eventually, the ship, I guess, docks somewhere in Hong Kong, and she feels, now, this is the moment, now I need to get off. She ends up spending years of her life in a place called the Walled City. That is the Walled City, if you can see it. It is a scary place. It was a scary place. It's since been torn down. Police wouldn't go there. This was run by gang members, this was run by pimps, this was run by drug dealers. This was a dangerous place to go, let alone a single girl from the UK in her 20s. Yet God called her there. And some of the stories that she tells, if you want to borrow the book, it'll be here. Uh, you can go online and read about her stories. They're just incredible. God moves in such powerful ways with her. It's just, it's amazing. This is one such story about a guy called Jean. I remember an incident after I had been in Hong Kong for a very short time, walking down a street in the walled city, which has since been torn down, I met a young boy who looked like a skeleton. He was so hungry that he staggered around the streets. I didn't know anything about drug addicts in those days, but he just looked so sick. I stopped somebody and asked them to write out in Chinese the name of a doctor. I gave Jan the notes and told him that if he would go, I would pay the doctor, but he never went. Later, I got somebody to write that I would meet him the next day at 10 o'clock. He was obviously hungry, but he never came. Very slowly, after a few years, I won Jeanne's trust. I found out he had been a heroin addict since he was nine. He was then about 15. Heroin addict since nine, he was then about 15. He slept in the streets. I persuaded him to go to a drug centre, and I found a pastor who would take him there. When it was time for him to be admitted, I got up very early, went out, bought him a new swimsuit, underclothes, T-shirt and a towel. Finally, two hours late, he arrived. I got him to the pastor. Then I went home and slept for 24 hours. You can tell she doesn't have kids. I was emotionally and physically exhausted. The strain of ministry had been enormous. I was so relieved that this pastor had Jeanne. He would get off drugs, he would learn about God, my responsibilities were over. Jackie, I'm really sorry. I could hear panic in my pastor friend's voice. His early morning call woke me. Jeanne has run away from the centre. I felt a wave of nausea sweep over my stomach. The pastor went on to say, not only has he run away from the centre, but he's also stolen money. We've chased him and tried to persuade him to come back, but he won't. I felt dead. Well, God, there you are. That's it. It isn't that I don't want to go on. 
I just can't. I used up all my heart on Jackie. Like, Jackie would say the reason God called her, the reason she went to Hong Kong was because God called her. I'm obviously not going to argue with that. But I think what God saw in Jackie was someone with a heart that was going to break for the city. It's a city of 50,000 in two and a half um, acres, like square acres, hectares, I think they're called. Lots of people. Her heart broke for just one 15-year-old boy. She said, like, I can't go on. My heart is breaking. She was overwhelmed. She was broken. Nehemiah broke for the city of Jerusalem, for the walls, for the people. Jesus broke for his friend Lazarus. Jackie broke for this place. These were people who are overwhelmed. These are people who are passionate about something. So how do we apply this? How do we take something from this? Well, we've got to ask the question, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we here today? Why are we so excited about small groups and getting involved with small groups and coming to prayer meetings and, and serving on like the tea and coffee rotor, for example, or kids' work? Why are we doing all this? We've got to ask ourselves that question. Why are we doing it? New Frontiers, for those of you that know the family of churches that we're part of, Christ Central, for those of you that know the family of churches. Again, come to Pursuing His Presence if you've not booked in. You're going to get to meet Jeremy and the team. We're a relational family. We want you to meet the team. But New Frontiers, Christ Central, we're known as a church planting movement. We plant churches. Is that, is that why we're doing what we're doing? Is that why we're planting this church? Because we're kind of part of New Frontiers, and New Frontiers, they kind of, they kind of plant churches. Everyone's got to plant a church. We've got to tick that New Frontiers box. Why are we doing what we're doing? We've got to stand back, kind of like look in the mirror, good first. Why are we here? What are we doing? Is it just to fill a church planting quota? Is it because we want to, you know, we want to do things, we want to have FICA in the middle. There's no other churches that do FICA in the middle, so we're going to plant a church that does FICA in the middle. It's part of the reason. That's no, definitely not part of the reason. But why are we here? We've got to ask ourselves that question. And like Nehemiah receives a report from his brother and the fellow Jews, we also can receive reports. We can also find out how things are going. Yesterday on the news, I just, you know, I have a phone, as we all do. I was just browsing and looked at the news. A hundred people in Iraq dead in a protest. I was very, very close to just quickly flip on, flick on and see what, what happened in the world of sport. Without even really thinking, a hundred people dead. These are the reports. These are the things that are going on around us. That's just one example just from yesterday. hundred people, it's more than we have in this room, dead. No longer live on planet Earth. These are the reports. There is evil around the world. There is murder. There is incredibly, incredibly sad things going on. And we can be so quick. We can get these reports. We get them so well now on our phones or our tablets or whatever it is. We get so many of them. We can almost become a little bit overwhelmed. There's just so much news coming in that we just move on past it. 
We don't let the news affect us. We don't let the reports from around the world of people dying affect us. These are the reports. And it's not just out there. Actually, in our city, it's not so extreme. But are there people that are being robbed? Are there people that are occasionally getting killed? Are there people in a bad place? Absolutely. It happens all around us. These are the reports that come in. Romans 1 makes for some pretty challenging reading. This is what it says in verse 28 to 31. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Okay, it's a lot about sexual sin, but it's not all about sexual sin. Listen to this list. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Can I get an amen? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is the report. These are the people around this city. These are the people around the nations. Friends, we have this incredibly privileged position to be able to worship, which added led us in so well today, and say, hey, thank you, God, that we're in Christ. We have this incredible position to be able to say, our eternity is secure. Do you know, one day, we will meet Jesus. One day, we will be with him. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. That is the reality of being in Christ because of Jesus. Do you know the reality of not being in Christ? Do you want to hear the news? Are you ready to hear the report? Enemies. Separated. Eternity away from God. Imagine this world with no good in it. It's horrific. Friends, we need to hear the report. We need to hear the news. Are you overwhelmed? Are you affected? Work colleagues, neighbours, family members, people we say hello to at Dargis, walk past in the park. The reality is we live in a city full of people who aren't in Christ. Are you overwhelmed? Are you affected? What do you think when that report comes in? When you read that list, it's like, it's an outrageous list. Evil, murderous, slanderers, disobedient to parents. Outrageous list. What, what do you think when you hear that your colleague, who you get on really well with, actually is an enemy of God? And what that means is they're going to spend eternity away from God. Do we get this? Why are we here? Is it just to tick a box and say, you know, we're, we're a church plant, New Frontiers, that's what they do? Or is it a rescue mission? Are we here to, to see, just like Jesus, he came to seek and save the lost? That's his mission statement. I came, why? To seek and save the lost. Should that not be our mission statement too? Friends, are you overwhelmed? But I think it goes even further than that, because in the context here, Nehemiah is not talking about people who aren't part of the body of Christ or, or Jews. He's talking about people who are his fellow Jews. And so we've got to look, how's the church doing? How are we doing? How's the other churches doing in Gothenburg, in the nation, in the nations? And I think the reality is there's some really exciting good stuff going on, absolutely. 
But are we all we could be? I'm going to say no. There is so much more to be done. There are so many more churches to be planted. There are so many more people to be helped, poor to be loved, widows to be cared for. Is the church doing all she can? Friends, we've got to let this news hit us. We've got to become overwhelmed. We've got to see the reality of the job at hand. Nehemiah became overwhelmed. He sat, as soon as I heard it, I sat down and wept. He was overwhelmed at the job in hand. Boy, it's going to be tough. But I'm going to try my best. What about us? Just imagine what we could do if, God, if we allow God to overwhelm us, if we allow God to give him, us his heart for this city, for this nation, for the nations. We have to become overwhelmed, as Terry says, before we can become useful to God. Friends, are you overwhelmed? In Luke 10, Jesus, if you've ever been to a prayer meeting over the last four years at our church, you probably hear me say this first. In Luke 10, Jesus said this, the harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few. Friends, the harvest is plentiful. This is like, it's just a reality. I think, I don't know the exact figure, but all the churches in Gothenburg, if we were to add them all together, would probably fit in a couple of trams. Think about how many trams go around Gothenburg every day, and then the cars and then walking, and then the buses. Friends, the harvest is plentiful. Are you letting that news, are you letting the report of where that harvest is going sink in? We've got to understand the mission. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. And he goes on to talk about action. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But I believe first there needs to be an element of weeping. There needs to be an element of being overwhelmed, of understanding just the place that people are in. Do we get it? Do we understand it? Nehemiah, as he heard the news, he sat down and he wept. And then as we're going to find out next week, he didn't just stay crying. He prayed. And then he rose. And then he took all sorts of action. In fact, the book of Nehemiah is like an amazing book of action. Okay, it's often, often used as for like Nehemiah, like leadership lessons and stuff like that. And there's, there's, there's in that, and we, I'm sure we're going to bring out stuff like that, absolutely. There is action. But if we just take it as a book where, okay, well, it's, it's the ten leadership lessons of Nehemiah, and we miss the heart behind it, I think we miss the point. He is a man who is overwhelmed for the city, for the people. We don't just want to do a cold exercise where we open the Bible at Nehemiah and sort of go through some lessons. No, we want to get the main point. Friends, are you overwhelmed for the city, for the nation, for the nations? But before we talk about what we're going to do, weep. Understand. Because you know what? Jesus loves this city. Why did God come? For he so loved the world that he sent his only son. God came, Jesus, took on flesh because he loved the city. He weeps over people who don't know him. So next week we're going to be looking at prayer. And I think our story is prayer. We're a church plant who prays. We want to pray. 
And I want to encourage you, even this week, even as we let the reality of the task at hand sink in and understand that, I want to call you to pray. Can I ask everyone to stand? Okay, we're going to finish praying. Um, after Nehemiah hears the news, he prays through tears, through like red, snotty face, he prays. And I wanted to just, I wanted us all to stand and I'm going to read out his prayer. And we're going to pray it as if it's our own prayer. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you. But if you return and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants, who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. <laughs> 